The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. God bless the reading of his word. You know, before we get into chapter 6, there was, there's something that's been on my heart. And I think what's nice about it is that it's a very good postscript to uh, Acts 5, to what Ella shared about, and actually a really good um, prelude to our talk. And frankly, this topic should be the topic of every conversation, and that's, uh, or should be central to every teaching, and that is the name of Jesus. And not just Jesus, we get that. But if you've grown up in the church, you hear about the name of Jesus. And have you ever stopped to pause? What do we mean by the name? Like, why is that so important? Um, We see this squarely written in Acts 5, where at the end, uh, a teacher of the law named Gamaliel is uh, persuaded the, the Jewish leaders to let the apostles go. And so the apostles are let go. They're flogged. Apparently, the text is going very quickly. And then, and I quote... Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, uh, suffering disgrace for the name. It just says the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. What a wonderful equation. Jesus equals the Christ. And I think for us, we always think, oh, the Christ. I mean, that's Jesus' last name, right? Well, I think the Jewish people, and thankfully all of us, 
we really see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. So this name was the primary cause of conflict between the apostles and the early church and the Jewish rulers. So while the name of Jesus may be very obvious, as in we say Jesus, um, as I express, what's not so obvious to me at least is the emphasis and significance on the name. And I think the significance is not incidental. I mean, it shows up in many ways in Scripture. Let's look, and we could do a week-long study on this, but let's just look at the beginning of Acts. This is the beginning of Acts 1, Acts 2, and I'll just be reading Scripture here. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3, But Peter said, Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Acts 4, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Uh, Acts 4 again, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And that goes for the songs that we sing too. Um, I'm not going to sing them for you. You you have to. (laughs) No, no, I I'll don't. I'll join you. <laughs> no, no, you really don't want us to. But um, uh, there is power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Good. Okay, honey. <laughs> That's the back so, talking. Jesus, um, Lamb of God. Worthy is your name. <laughs> uh, your name, this is an old one. Your name is like honey on my lips. Uh, that's good. Okay. Uh, You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. And then lost Lost are saved. saved. (laughs) I'm trying to get the melody in so people know. You can just hum it while I say it. Um, Find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned feel no shame at the sound of your great name. You are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. And with my saying and Brandon's singing, you probably wish that Liv would just come up and we could keep worshiping, right? We'll just finish our worshiping. Um, We're not going to, but we will at the end, and then you can feel free to worship as long as you want. (laughs) But... Um, but I, we appreciate you. Uh, this is we're kind of taking liberties by going back to chapter five, but we've just really been um, sitting with this a little bit. So I appreciate that you're that you're walking through this with us. And we we um, we thought of some some other significances that we want to go through about the name of Jesus. And I would have asked Liv to sing songs about the name, but the good good Father that was good. I like that on Father's Day. So thanks. Yeah. And actually, there was one song that, uh, that didn't mention the name. I forgot the lyrics, though. So, <laughs> um, so what's in the name? Why is it so important? That's kind of what we're after here. And so we're going to detail several points. Um, and if you're an artist, consider this like a landscape. If you're an engineer, the components of a blueprint. I mean, the point being that we're not going to find the like, one right answer that says this is why the name's important. But I think our intention is really to provide a summary of thoughts uh, really to motivate you to reflect on on the same. And it's like once you think about something, you've been to see it he- again and again. And so hopefully where you see the name of Jesus, you can spark your own thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we go. Number one, 
His name is practical. God became human. He had to have a name. Pretty, that's deep, right? (laughs) Well, this might sound like an underwhelming point. Uh, Remember that people were waiting for this Messiah, this Christ. Imagine for a second, and perhaps some of you don't have to, that you have a loved one, a wife, a daughter, a son, a father, that is extremely ill with cancer, depression, a learning disorder, an unknown condition. And I came to you and said, hey, Bryant, Justin, Jay, I know a doctor that can cure this. He's right down the street at Hopkins, no problem. What would you want to know next? What is this doctor's name? Tell me. When you are waiting to be cured, um, to be saved, uh, when you recognize your incompleteness, Mm -hmm. don't you want to know the name of the person that can help? Mm -hmm. So for thousands of years, the Jewish people have been waiting for this name. And here it is, Jesus. I mean, just just hearing that, Jesus, I'm sure they said it over again. Finally, we have a name. Mm -hmm. Let's not take that waiting for granted. I mean, we've been grafted into that historical waiting and now we have a name, too. And the, the second thing that we were thinking of is we are integral beings. We're both physical and we're both spiritual. And we're mind, body, soul, spirit. And these aspects of us are intertwined. One area affects the other in ways that we can't even understand. And God illustrates this point to us through Scripture, too. In Luke 6, Jesus says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or in James, we read that what we say affects our whole being. So it says, look at the ships also. So they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What we believe in our spirits and what we think in our minds um, finds its way out of our mouths, sometimes whether we want to or not. Have you ever said something to someone in a conversation, and then maybe later you think about the conversation, you think to yourself, like, where did that come from? Like, why did I say that? Or, okay, or I do. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so, so we see that. And so when we, what we say um, shows us what's true, what's in our hearts, and, and it can also affect what's in our hearts. So from what we say, we see what's inside, but also what we say can affect and change what's mm-hmm. inside our hearts. Um, and so when we, when we give our attention through speech, these things sink into our soul and into our belief systems. So saying his name, Jesus, is an acknowledgement that words matter, that our speech matters. Mm -hmm. And saying it drives almost a posture of our being when we say the name Jesus. And not just like saying like Jesus, um, because lots of people say Jesus uh, for various reasons, um, but saying it, you know, like with a concentration, like, like you're like you're not just seeing, but you're gazing your speech as if you're you're gazing on Jesus. The third one that we thought about is that uh, his name is personal. 
We serve a very relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit together. And he came down to earth through a woman so he could relate to us and save us and a person that we can look to and say he's been through what we've been through. Um, and he did it perfectly. And so it's, it's personal. When you first meet someone, what's the first thing you learn about them? The name, right? It's, it's that, first, that first thing that you can relate to. When we say the name Jesus, it's something that we can relate to. Number four, and we have 37 of these if you're taking notes. <laughs> we have six. <laughs> His name is Ultimate. So what do I mean by that? We live in a world of hierarchy, uh, a world indexed by greatness, uh, superlatives, what is good, better, best. Uh, and in a world with many names, there is one that emerges as the ultimate, and that is Jesus. His name is the highest, the greatest name. If his name wasn't the highest, whose name would be? There would be someone out there, but we declare, no, his name is the highest. He is the king of kings. And so, I mean, I follow and look up to many people, as I'm sure you do. I mean, what names do you follow or hold up high? Mm -hmm. I'm sure these people are good role models or not. (laughs) Or they provide aspiration or motivation. I want to be like that person. But none of them live up to the ultimate example of the name of Jesus. I mean, he is the one that's seated at the right hand of God. And so we want a name to that. Yeah, we want that role model in our minds. Um, number 25 is um, <laughs> his name is powerful. It's powerful. It's not saying the name of Jesus isn't a magical incantation where you pray for someone, you lay hands, and then, you know, poof. But it is powerful. There's power in the name of Jesus. And, you know, what do we mean when we say there's power in the name of Jesus? And I think one of the things is that a name carries behind it a reputation, and when you think of Jesus, what's, what do you think of his reputation behind that name? I think of when he was on earth, I think of his miracles. Just, you know, you talk about people were gathered and he healed everyone, it would say. You know, like, what, who is that? And then, you know, his, his wisdom, his miraculous birth, um, his death, his resurrection, that is the power behind his name. So we're saying the name of Jesus. We're saying all those things. And those things remind us that he is God. He is Jesus. He is personal. He came to earth to relate to us, but he is God. And so when we are saying the name of Jesus and praying in the name of Jesus, we are remembering the reputation of him as God. And we're bringing that through our speech into the present, wherever we are. Um, You know, even in John, if you look in John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, whatever you ask, in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in John 16, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And this is why we pray in Jesus' name, because he asked us. He asked us to pray in his name, remembering the power that his name brings. Okay, number six, and then we'll, we'll pause here. Um, his name has meaning. I mean, in biblical times, as in really today as well, uh, names mean something. They're, they're more than just badges of identification. Uh, they often told others who you were and what purpose God had for your life. That's one of the initial joys of being a parent. You get to name your child. 
For us, we chose names probably first because they sounded cool. <laughs> but then we also wanted to make sure that there was like a reputation or, or, or impression that was carried with them. We also wanted to make sure that they had a meaning. So Evelyn is a derivative of Eve and means life. You know, Nora means honor, and her middle name is JL, and there's a whole story on that that you'll have to read. You should read it in the Bible <laughs> and then ask us why we named our child that. <laughs> so Simone is the feminine form of Simon, which means one who hears, and we're praying that she'll live up to her name. That's, that was easy. That's too easy. Um, Tessa is diminutive of Teresa, which means harvester. And then later, I had a nerdy friend that said, actually, that's Greek for Tessera as well, which means fourth born. And so here we are, fourth born is named Tessa. I think that was really fun. <laughs> so the point is that names have and carry meaning. Um, we say Jesus, but his spoken name was actually Yesu or Yeshua. And if there's a seminarian or a linguist in here that wants to correct me, you can do that later. <laughs> I didn't say it right. But Yeshua means God saves. Mm -hmm. So we see that in Matthew 1. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, or mm -hmm. Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Think what a promise held by God to send a begotten part of him mm -hmm. uh, to earth to save us and to give us life to the full. And so we're, we're surprised by this. We're surprised by the embodiment of God uh, in, in the life, the sacrifice, uh, the Godhood, and the name of Jesus, uh, God saves. And so now we're moving into Acts 6, but why we bring that up is not only because we're meditating on it, but because we're imagining these early believers, these Christians, piecing these things together. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And being awe, in awe of Jesus and the name of Jesus. And they're still, you know, they're still working this out. Um, and then it moves right into, uh, you know, the divisions in the church. We see that um, in, in early Acts, divisions are coming from the outside through persecution. They're also coming from the inside now, right? So we see, we see both of these things together. And just as context, remember that we're still in Jerusalem, the believers, and this may be less than a year after Jesus' ascension. And Peter and the apostles are preaching at the temple at um, Solomon's Colonnade, which is enormous. It's essentially one, one large overhang from the temple, and it's the size, what did they say, of two football fields? Yeah, for long. Um, so it's big, and people are crowding this space. So this, this is like a really big crowd, right? Um, and it's noticeable, and it's attracting attention. So when you see a crowd, then other people are drawn to a crowd. You want to know what's going on. And this is the setting. This is what's happening and what they're proclaiming Jesus and the good news to all these people. These are people that have listening ears. They want to know what's going on. And so it's a prime time um, for the church. And the church grew in numbers. There was people added all the time. And what is the church but a collection of people? That's that's what we are. It's just a bunch of people together. That is the church. And so whenever that happens, whenever you get lots of people together, then there's automatically divisions or things that come because people are different. Right? <laughs> um, and so they're in this place where, they're being, where there's new people being added. They're preaching the gospel all the time. 
um, and they're trying to figure out how do we keep spreading the gospel, but how do we also uh, care for each other as a body the way that Jesus expressed and would want them to do. That's great. And so if we look at some of the elements of the story, we see that, again, as Emily explained, the church is not only growing, but it's growing in diversity. Um, We have Hellenistic or Grecian Jews. Those are Jews that were part of the diaspora that have come back, and they're joining this church with the Hebraic Jews. But there's an issue. There seems to be some favoritism going to the widows of the Hebraic Jews, and so the Greeks and Jews uh, come to them and say, look, I think we should share this spread as, as a body, and that, that the daily distribution that goes to the widows should be done equitably. And I just want to add that the Hellenistic um, Jews were the minority. That's right. Good point. And so here we begin to see that there is now roles in the church. Um, those that, whose primary role is teaching, as the apostles explained, and those who wait on tables as the text is written. And I'm not entirely sure of this, but the wait on tables, I think we should have an image less of like little old ladies sitting at cafeteria tables and more as men sitting behind the tables either distributing food in kind or through like money uh, so that they can purchase it on their own. Another interesting thing is that they, they put the, the vote uh, for the people to oversee this distribution to the church and then they picked seven people. The seven were all Grecian Jews. So the body um, that, elected to, that was elected to distribute the food fairly were all among the minority. I think that's very interesting. And even one of them was a, a proselyte, meaning here you have a non-Jewish person becoming a Jewish person that then now believes in Jesus. And so that's the person they put in charge to, uh, uh, for this distribution. And so what's the significance for the church, like the church with the capital C today for us? Um, some of the things that we were thinking through is, first, it required a lot of trust for mm-hmm. the Grecian Jews to bring up. To even bring up the issue. The issue. Yeah. Um, I think especially being the minority of the mm-hmm. group that they brought it up. And then um, it was dealt with in a very trusting way, it seemed like, from the text. And so we're, we're seeing that trust is really an essential foundation for the rest of church relationships. And, um, and I'll just pause here and say, this, we're gonna, what we're getting into might start to become more of what feels like a family, a family church business <laughs> chat that we're about to get into. Um, so just bear with us and think of this as like we're about to, we're about to just get into some, a family meeting here. Um, but so trust. Trust is um, an important um, and, greedy. and the other thing is a need for governance. Um, there just has to be governance so that no one gets left out. The people who get left out are the ones that need to be helped all the time, right? And so there has to be governance and there has to be order so that the people who could be on the fringe are, are brought in the middle. Um, and so, you know, we have experiences of church and we can all probably, anyone who's been in the church for a long time, probably has an experience of church leadership or church governance that didn't really satisfy what you were hoping for or looking for. Um, but that aside, the, the governance that I think is wise and that God would want for us is, is, um, I mean, is to have governance, a, a loving servant um, governance. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, um, uh, but this is the first place in the scripture where we really see the designation of deacon. And deacon means to serve. So it is literally a place of leadership to serve the body. 
Um, and what we find so interesting is that the seven didn't say, we need someone who can handle money, who's, um, who's done like distribution before um, to handle this, you know, elect someone who you know who has those skills. No, it was, who among you has a good reputation? Who among you is full of the spirit and wise? And then they'll figure it out with those qualifications. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe they chatted with someone else about how to do distribution while they fulfilled their role. I don't know. But, but it's those, it's those um, qualifications that they were looking at for church governance. And so we want to be a church and a church as a whole um, around the world of people who are governed and who are led by servants who are full of the spirit and wise and have a good reputation about them. So our points here are to draw lessons from the early church and application of how we operate today. And I think another one of those examples is ordination. We see in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. I think that's uh, actually very biblical in why we do that now. There's a commissioning involved with taking up service within a church not just a fulfilling of a position. Um, I think it's quite amazing that the apostles put the decision actually to the church, to the brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. to elect among themselves uh, seven to do the work. Uh, it didn't have to be that way. I think the apostles could have easily selected seven among who they already knew, um, but they made this a democratic process. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a posture of humility and trust by the apostles with the church And I think that that posture of uh, humility and trust was extended um, because the church elected seven out of the minority group. I mean, how much trust had to be there? Um, So, like, yeah, why do you think that was? I think to perhaps further the trust uh, as a show of forgiveness. Um, And we don't exactly know, but I think it's a beautiful example. And while the function of the seven may seem less significant, that is, their job was to distribute bread to widows, or money, that may seem lower than this this leadership quality of teaching. Um, But their qualifications were anything but, uh, and we'll see the significance of that later. Also, the responsibility to take care of each other is equally as important as sharing the good news of Jesus outside of church walls. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, My father likes to say, we keep what we have by giving it away. And while I don't fully understand that, (laughs) or what he means by that, it's thought-provoking. And I think uh, it has a good application here. We keep the name of Jesus, meaning we go deeper in our faith and in our understanding of who he is by giving it away, by telling others of his great name. So we're not saved to be saved, but saved to be sent. And we see here that they're not going to just go out until they know that they're helping each other first. So what we're reading here is not actually a missional issue. It's an internal church issue. But it gave rise to missional consequences, and I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. So we want people to feel cared for in the gallery, Mm -hmm. not just for gallery's sake, um, but for the kingdom. The result of the effective and equitable widow feeding program, if we can call it that, was that the gospel spread. And that's written in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Mm -hmm. 
So I mentioned caring for the gallery. And I think just to uh, pause for a second, as Emily expressed, I think this is a bit of a church family meeting now. If we take stock of the gallery, what do we have? We have five elders. That's Ellis, Ginger, myself, Brandon. I don't know yet. This is my wife, Emily, and Albert. So it's a limited number. We do not have any deacons. We have growth community leaders and gallery kids volunteers and our hospitality leaders and our AV guys. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're so grateful for these shepherds within the congregation. I mean, Ellis is our pastor, um, but many of you have shepherding roles in the congregation. Yeah. And so we're not, we're not like most churches. We don't have a men's program, women's program, domestic outreach, international missions group. Um, I'm sure that there's more uh, healing prayer program. We just don't have the size. We don't have um, the long-term commitment. This is a transient city. It's a very young and busy congregation. And so we're approached a lot. We should do this. We should do that. We should do this. And I think our response is, we really should. I want to so badly. But I, I think what I'm seeing in this passage is, you know what a really major criterion is? Is for us to take stock and trying to figure out what, what's going to split us apart. And let's prioritize that. I mean, Emily and I, our first reaction is, oh, the kids' ministry. There's no volunteers. Like, there's no one there. We, if we don't get the kids' ministry together, parents are going to leave. And parents, frankly, are very good for relational reasons as well as financial. <laughs> um, but then they're going to leave. But then, well, that's our perspective. You could be a minority within the congregation and say, look, your domestic outreach, your neighborhood outreach, it's not happening. That's going to split the church apart. You think you're a diverse church now, not in the future. You better watch out. These are things that we want to hear, that we, we really feel like we should be do better at offering that we're listening. I mean, there could be other examples, if you can think of any. <laughs> They're sobering to think about. And I think Emily and I could easily put in place, yep, we're going to put in the you know, Keep Parents Committee here. We're going to put in the International <laughs> Missions Committee there. Um, but I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to be us filling positions and us not taking a step back and thinking, what do our family really need? Where's our dividing line? What, are the, what family matters are priority? And do we have people that are full of spirit and wise that can fill those positions? That's a very different problem, um, and that one that we've taken on as elders and one that we really would love and respect if you all understood and actually spoke into it, and I think we're open to that. We're open to that communication, mm-hmm. which I've gone long. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, our, our heart behind um, saying this is really to, to make this, the chapter very practical to us and to um, open a window for us, even if you're new to the church, but just so you can see, see in the church that... Um, uh, when we look at the gallery, we may not have all the programs that another church has, um, but but what we really do want is an authentic expression of who our body is coming out in a ministry to each other. Um, and we're seeing that happen. And Brandon mentioned um, the growth community leaders and gallery kids volunteers and worship team and hosting team. And what we want to say um, especially for you who aren't yet involved, is that those, those positions are not just filled positions, but those are people who really 
um, that's the love of Christ expressing in their hearts for those positions. Mm-hmm. So we want to thank you, all of you growth community leaders, because we understand that that is a servant position. Should, should we make them stand up? Stand up, everybody, if you're a growth yeah, community well, leader. <laughs> no, seriously. They're not going to? No, seriously, stand up. <laughs> okay, no, Hi, Andrew. Brandon's saying, come on. Um, but that's a position that requires you to be full of the Spirit and a commitment to Jesus. It's not just a position that you walk into. So we want to be thankful because a church requires lots of pastors <laughs> and lots of shepherding that goes uh-huh. goes um, and happens, and we see that in our congregation. And uh-huh. so we want to say thank you. So maybe on the outside or maybe on a piece of paper, we don't have different things that another church might have, but we want to say thank you for the, the things that are going on relationally and uh-huh. with prayer um, among each other. Um, we're so thankful for that. Um, so then we get to Stephen, and we, we're not going to go very far into Stephen because we'll see that next week when it's mostly about him, but um, just taking us kind of full circle. We talked about the name of Jesus and how the disciples in this early place must have just been in awe of who Jesus was. And as they're growing together and as more are added, then they're finding the need to care for each other, and they're, they're um, choosing among them people who are full of the Spirit. I've said that so many times, so hopefully that's like the thing that we walk away with. <laughs> full of the Spirit, wisdom, good reputation. And, um, and they're caring for each other. And as they care for each other, the message of Jesus is spreading. And that is exciting. Mm-hmm. And then you have Stephen. Now, Stephen was one of the deacons, so he was one of the servants that's waiting on widows. But there's something special about Stephen, something unique about Stephen, that it's not, it, the position doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like Brandon was talking about the hierarchy in a church where we can think of the pastor as um, more special or more gifted than someone else, but, um, but Stephen here is a servant leader, and then you see him, this remarkable, I mean, he's doing signs and wonders. His face is shining like an angel. Like, what is that? I don't even know, but it's remarkable. And so I, I kind of see this circle of, you know, the awesomeness of who Jesus is, and then people are trying to live that out. And you see Stephen especially as this example of someone who's just trying to live out um, just his testimony of Jesus and his life and the people among them. And we pray that for our church as well, that as we, um, as we grow closer to Jesus and as we are filled continually with his Holy Spirit, and as we're growing in wisdom and maturity as a body, mm-hmm. that, that overflows and that we see that in our communities, in our, in our neighborhoods here in Baltimore, um, that we see a, a vibrant, healthy church family um, and people at it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, you, are, you are good. We praise you. We praise you for the name above all names that you are to us. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you that you were the same when you were on earth that you are today, that you were with the disciples. You're the, the same and you haven't changed and that you love us. And I pray specifically for this church body. Lord, would you fill us up um, make us hungry for you, to know you, um, to follow your spirit, um, to see what it means to be committed to you and to your church. I pray that this would be a church body uh, who is so in love with you that we are overwhelmed with the desire to serve each other. Mm -hmm. I pray that that would be a a huge characteristic of our church um, as we grow into maturity. Please, Lord, grow us into maturity. Um, Please protect us where there may divisions, just as you 
um, protected this early church, would you do the same for us? Mm -hmm. And would you do the same for the other um, churches in Baltimore? Even who are meeting this morning, Lord, would you unite the churches in Baltimore for your kingdom, Mm -hmm. um, that you would, your kingdom would be uh, coming here in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Amen.